again for episode 7 of First Draft Cycle. I, I'm just so excited for this episode, uh, mainly because I've been doing this for, uh, what, 7-8 weeks now, and I don't feel like stopping. Um, it's kind of awesome, and my hair's starting to get to a nice length, so, you know, I'm happy. Um, I want to just, you know, give a shout out to um, the people who have, uh, you know, sent me kind words and uh, been supportive. Uh, some people on Twitter for my first Drafts at Glow account um, have been very uh, vocally uh, uh, supportive and very um, just into the idea of what I'm doing here. And I honestly feel like I'm just getting better and better as I go. And I feel this story is so out of my wheelhouse, my normal wheelhouse, that um, I wasn't really prepared for uh, what actually happened. And uh, I'm kind of, kind of really happy about it. Um, you know, but enough about me, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> Did I introduce myself? My name is Avon, or Nails That Glow, depending on how you know me. Uh, like and subscribe. And uh, today's episode um, is kind of a mystery. Um, I grew up and I did used to watch a lot of murder mystery movies and TV shows. Um, all the Poirot uh, stuff, um, you know, like the, the old movies, Evil Under the Sun and stuff like that. The Kenneth Branagh films that have come out recently, I mean, I love that man, but Gal Gadot is just an army hammer. Like, come on. Anyways. <laughs> um, my, my absolute favorite mystery show from back in the day was Murder, She Wrote. Um, you know, Between You and Me, which means between me and everybody on the internet now. Um, I kind of had a big crush on Angela Lansbury when I was a kid. <laughs> like, older Angela Lansbury, even. Like, even from Bedknobs and Broomsticks, I was like, well, hi there. How you doing? You know, kind of thing. Not normal for young boys to, uh, find older ladies like that hot. But I guess, you know, since I'm a trans, uh, non-binary, uh, femme, uh, it makes a bit of sense. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, this episode is called Guide Sunrise um, because it is a, um, a uh, mystery. I did uh, take a few notes uh, before I started writing. Um, all of my other stories so far, I... Uh, and with this one too, um, I do random words and I try to find a title that feels right for the genre that I'm going for. I pick the genre that I want to do. Um, and then the words or phrase um, that kind of come out from the random word generator or I throw scraps into, you know, something and I pull them out. Um, 
I think this one I went to a random word generator site and I just hit random a few times. Um, and I ended up with Guide Sunrise. And I, like, I, I, it took me a long time to really kind of focus on uh, what would make this a story. Like, I didn't want to just start writing and then, like, just wing it and say, oh, the butler did it, you know, kind of thing. Like, um, I'm a better writer than that, anyways. But I also didn't want to uh, just kind of start throwing stuff at the wall and then have to go back and fix it because that would kind of defeat the purpose of this project. I, I had a vision and I started with it and it did kind of grow in a different angle than I expected it to, but the uh, framework I set up allowed for everything that happens in this story. And I was uh, probably taking a little bit more time than I normally would have uh, for a story like this. Um, so, you know, as as story seven goes, it's the first one in this series where I actively wrote down the character names, um, who they were, um, roughly who was the uh, uh, criminal kind of thing, um, the, the name of the detective, because you always have to have a good detective in a murder mystery. Um, even if they aren't a, a detective so much, like, uh, you know, uh, Jessica Fletcher in Murder, She Wrote. Um, but, uh, and a few sentences of a synopsis of what it's all about. But outside of that, like, I kind of, the lead character, he just kind of became... I wasn't really sure what kind of character he was going to be. Uh, so, yeah, he surprised me a bit. And the absolute end surprised me a bit, too. But it felt like something that he would do. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm probably talking too, too much again. And you know what? Fuck you. This is my show. I'm going to do whatever I want. If you want to do it different, you do a show. I gotta, maybe I should eat before I do this. Maybe, maybe I'm just a wee bit spicy right now, but anyways. All right. You know, I, I have yet to figure out why I do that. Just, <clears throat> but I'm going to keep doing it until somebody tells me that it's stupid. Because that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Uh, I amuse myself a bit too much. <clears throat> okay, so this is Guide Sunrise, a first draft set glow story by me, Avon. Tom was covered in flop sweat, his hands shaking as he paced back and forth, staring at the phone. <clears throat> it was the middle of the day. Nobody was home. His boyfriend had been out of, the off, out of his office since the morning, and the girls were busy at their jobs, his footfalls feeling like nails each step. 
The inner desire to scream held back only by the knowledge that he could get arrested again and being put into the women's jail would make him want to die even more. Grabbing a pillow and yelling into it for longer than he thought possible made his head swim. There were bright flashes of light and that familiar pain behind the eyes. He felt the warmth in his mouth and the sourness in the pit of his gut. He raced to the toilet, or his race to the toilet was met with a hard fall face first into the tile of the cold floor. Rolling onto his back and slowly getting up, he checked the mirror and saw the paleness in his skin and the contrast of the blood rushing from his nose. The blood distracted him as he began to taste it and starting to puke before he could open his mouth fully, making some of it come out of his broken nose and a burning sensation from his tear ducts. Falling to his knees hard next to the toilet, throwing the lid up and releasing the rest in a rush akin to Niagara Falls from his mouth and his nose. Tom was feeling a little better in his body, but his head still hurt. He focused and tried to clean the mess he had made. He knew that both Sue and Pam would not like the mess and would again suggest some kind of medical intervention. Even his boyfriend Ron was starting to side with them every time he slipped like this. He couldn't cope with the idea of Ron leaving him. The phone ringing startled him. He was sure it was work calling to see why he didn't come in again. I just need to find a few bucks and get a fix and then I'll be in, he explains to the harsh ring of the bells. Cleaning up and changing his clothes took longer than he wanted. His face hurt. He felt his eye sockets were sore. His knees felt wrong and his belly was twisting again. The taste of blood got him back into the bathroom and looking at the face that a boxer would have had after a few rounds. How will I explain this? He muttered to himself as he cleaned up again. Well, Ron, I was on my way to work when these thugs just jumped me and beat me harder when my binder broke. They almost raped me, but I got away. He explains to the mayor and starts crying. No, I can't lie to him like that again. Deciding it was time to go, he suddenly remembers that Sue had recently gotten a care package from her family overseas. She said that they sent her some items to cure homesickness and some money. He could take a few dollars. She made enough at her job. She won't even notice for a week or more, he says with confidence looking into the mirror before sticking fingers in his nose and shifting them to straighten it. Ouch! Flack! he exclaims. The house was large enough for everyone to have a room, as well as two offices. The age of it offered only one space for a bathroom, and Pam didn't want to gut the family home for anything. Tom hated it. It is 1973, after all, and all the things are only getting more modern, he mutters as he opens the door to Sue's bedroom, that she mostly used to store her clothing and personal items. Ugh. You have too much stuff, he mutters as he sees the neat stack of boxes next to a filing cabinet. The boxes had nothing of value. Pictures of Sue before she started to transition. Pictures of her with Pam looking very handsome and masculine. The thin mustache and delicate fabrics of clothing suggesting a very feminine slant. Tom had never seen these before. 
Ahmed destroyed all of the pictures of himself before he started presenting as a man. He didn't even want to talk about it to most people. Ron and the girls were the only people he ever told that he still talks to. His family doesn't even know what his new name is. His mind snapped back to his task as the shaking came back and his body covered in a dampness similar to having swam in a pool. He looked over the filing cabinet and pulled at each of the drawers with no luck. There was a lock at the top that secured all of them. She will notice if I break this. His mind races for a way to make damage to the cabinet believable. Could say I was attacked before leaving the house and they broke into the cabinet. Seeming reasonable, he fetches a screwdriver from the kitchen toolbox, returning quickly with the same flashes in his eyes and more sweat. He bent the screwdriver before managing to pry open the top drawer to find nothing but medical records detailing Sue's transition. The second drawer opening seemed to break the bar that held all four drawers shut. The second drawer had what looked like family photos. They had to be family photos, but some of them were also of the local Communist Party materials. Tom knew Sue was into some subversive stuff, but communism? The third drawer made him stop as he inspected the gun and the odd knife. The markings on the blade looked like the Communist Party symbols, like in the Russian flag. Same with the gun. This made him angry because there's no way he could sell these without getting everyone in the city thinking he was a pinko. He nervously put the weapons back and started digging in the bottom drawer. The paperwork and other random documents were not in English. He picked up a small book looking inside as he pulls it out of the drawer. Oh fuck, he says loudly. The last sound in the house for the next six hours that anyone heard clearly was a gunshot. Chewing on a toothpick like it was food, Mel looks over the room and the body on the floor. I need to smoke. This fucking mint toothpick is just not cutting it. The photographer nods as he sets a new flash in the camera. Be sure to get a picture of the door from the inside and the outside as well as anywhere you see blood, directing his commands to the room. Walking downstairs, releasing an unfiltered smoke into his mouth and lighting it with a quickness, he inhales and exhales with a smile. Can you smoke outside, please? This is a non-smoking house. Pam walks to the detective with a stern look. I'm sorry, miss. Mel tips his hat, rushing himself outside. From the porch, he looks into the door. Miss Pam, can I speak with you first out here? Very well. Pam pats the hand of Sue and hugs Ron before going outside. What more could you want? We gave all the details of our day to the other officers before you got here. The smell of perfume and talcum powder oozed from her as she spoke. Yes, miss, I know. Mel nods, lighting another cigarette. I'm just trying to understand why your roommate was shot for breaking into a mostly empty filing cabinet. What do you think she... He. Tom was a he. Pam snaps her cheeks. Snaps as her cheeks turn bright red. I am so sorry. I forgot. The coroner report still says she. I'll have them correct that if I can. 
He did not have any legal paperwork or medical procedures, so that may be hard. The puffs of smoke floating out of his nose as he speaks. Now, who was she... Sorry. Who was Tom in a relationship with in this house? Ron. They had been together for a number of years now. Ron had helped Tom and was trying to help him get sober to have a doctor clear him for transition. Mel pulls out a small leather book with a pen inside starts scribbling notes. Okay, so Tom was an addict of some kind? Yes, he was on horse when I met him and Tom... Tom begged to... Uh, sorry. <laughs> it's the first time I screwed up. Yes, he was on horse when I met him, and Tom begged to live here. What about the other woman and yourself? Did you want to live here? None of us were thrilled with Tom's habits. He was a kind soul that was running from an abusive family, and he desperately hated himself. It took time, but... We ended up loving him like family. He stole from us sometimes, but this is something he never did before. Mel fills out a few pages, catching up. And is, uh, Tom the only trans, um, what is it, sexual transvestite, uh, in this house? Um, was him and Ron the only, um, homosexuals in this house? Pam glares, careful. Mel stops, squint, Mel stops squinting at Pam. Did I uh, say something wrong? If you are implying we are deviants in this house, then we are done here. I'm just trying to get a clear picture is all. Believe me, I'm one of the few in the department that would understand. Mel lights another smoke after producing it seemingly out of the ether. Sue and I are a couple. Tom and Ron were a couple. We all had our... We all had our own rooms. Sue slept in mine and Tom with Ron. The rooms without beds were storage, more or less, and we had two office spaces to have a men's room and a women's room so we could relax without bothering each other. Mel scribbles. Who owns the house? I do. It's a family house my grandfather It's a family house my grandfather purchased after the First Great War. Pam squirms slightly when she hears some of the police yelling inside. When will they be done here? Oh, soon, Mel smiles weakly. I think I got everything I need from you right now. Can you send out uh, Ron, please? Pam scowls slightly as she nods. Sweeping into the house, she bumps into one of the officers, making his way out, clenching her hands in a fist, raising them to her waist. Watch it, fascist. She snaps, rushing in. The officer shrugs at Mel, and he carries out a large bag with grease pen writing all over it. Sir, this is a few of the items in the room that had uh, blood splatter, and uh, Daniels has some of the clothes he's uh, still searching. Mel nods as he finishes some notes from his talk with Pam, stopping when the shorter and denser Ron clasps his dress shoes claps his dress shoes onto the porch. You wanted to speak with me. His voice sounded like a man in his early 20s, but Ron looked closer to 40. Yes, I, I understand that Tom was your, um, my boyfriend, and I'm not ashamed of it. 
Ron rocks in place on his heels with hands in his dress pants. I work as a legal researcher, so I'm not worried about my reputation or anything. No need to walk around the subject. Mel pauses as Ron speaks, looking him over. Have you been presenting this way for a long then? Ron looking surprised. Why, well, damn. How could you guess? Mel nursing his smoke a little, blows a few rings, put the butt out with his shoe. Well, your ID says male, but I've not met many guys five foot four in my life. Also, I was just guessing. Well, as rude as all of that is, you are right. I was fortunate enough to have money and doctors that didn't see my condition as a sickness, so I became Ron when I was 25. Mel nods as he writes without looking up. And was this something you hid from others? Would Tom ever threaten to tell people to gain an edge or manipulate you? Why, you fucking... A sharp inhale. Followed by a slow exhale as Ron closes his eyes, slowly opening them at the end of his exhale. I loved him. My job knows and does not care. The legal firm is owned by the same lawyer that helped me get my name and status changed. Tom had problems, and I was willing to help him however I could. Did uh, he have access to your money or valuables? No. I knew what kind of person he is. Uh, I mean, was. Another cycle of breathing. Listen, this is not as easy as you think. I'm keeping it together right now because I'm still in shock. Can, can we do this later? I, I think I just need a drink and quietly break down for a bit. I'd be free tomorrow if you want. Without waiting for a reply, Ron walks back inside with sharp sounds of his shoes ringing through the house, reflecting out through the front door like a megaphone. Mel leans into the door. Sue? Miss? Can I speak to you, please? Taller than himself and lean, Sue comes out wearing a rough dress covered in black and other colors. Her face marked with dusting of black powder and both hands stained from finger fingertips to wrists in various shades of black and red. Eyes looking down with slumped shoulders. Yes, she says meekly. Well, miss, I was wondering why you didn't tell my boys that you were where you were this afternoon. Mel tries to catch her eyes as he talks. I told them. They just thought I was lying. Mel nods as he writes. Well, what did you tell them? I was on my lunch break at the print shop. I went to the park and fed the ducks bread while I ate my sandwich. It was a gloomy day and not many people in the park. I was wearing a canvas because I thought it might rain, and it did. Mel raises an eyebrow while still trying to get Sue to look at him. That is why you were not wet when you were picked up from work then? Yes, I had just gotten back. Finally catching her eyes, Mel look, locks, her <laughs> locks her to his gaze. I was told your lunch break is longer than everyone else's in the print shop. Blushing, she looks away again. I am allowed 90 minutes for my break. I am really efficient at my job. So much so I'm often done a full hour before the end of the shift. How do you get to work then? 
It is about, uh, looking through his book, he reads over a page. Four miles. Do you ride a bus or get a cab? No, I tend to walk. If it's bad weather, Pam sends a taxi or one of my coworkers gives me a ride. I see. How long have you been living in this state? I tried looking you up, but I can't find much about you before the 60s. The courthouse should have the record of my filing after surviving the bombing of my area in Great Britain in the First War. It, it, Second War. It would be the Second War. <laughs> it took years to get new papers, and when I moved here, it took years before I was allowed to apply for citizenship. Mel looks over Sue. May I ask you something personal? I'm afraid I offended your roommate, Ron, with a similar question, and it was unkind of me. Sue looks over the, the detective. Yes, I was born another gender. I have all the medical paperwork in. Mel blushes himself. Oh my gosh, no, I'm so sorry. Putting up his journal and offering a cigarette to Sue. She takes it and seems to relax. No, I was going to ask you about your relationship with Pam. But I think you answered some of my question in a way that cuts down on misunderstanding. Sue turns a bright red. Oh my god, I'm so embarrassed. She shakes a little as she smokes. Mel sits her down in one of the chairs. Listen, between us, I'm also different. I don't like the term people use for people like me, but let's just say I have a unique perspective. Looking over Mel with suspicion. Okay. I am homosexual. I know what people like us deal with. Please forgive me. I am sorry to make you feel uncomfortable. It's okay. I'm really tall and my shoulders will always be wide. People suspect all the time. I honestly would not have even given it a thought. Mel waits for Sue to look up to see him smile. What I wanted to ask is about your partner, Pam. What about her? I found a record she was a nurse for the army, but I can't find any posting or deployment information that isn't behind walls of red tape. It'll take days, possibly weeks, before I can find out. I wanted to ask, why not ask her? I'm asking you. Mel sits back, lighting two more smokes, handing one to Sue. Call it a, a delicate way to ask. She gives me some uh, aggressive signals. Smiling, Sue coughs a little as she exhales. Yeah, that's my girl. Do you know? All I know is that she was in China in 55 and Nam a few years later with the medical teams. She quit soon after that, didn't she? Yeah, she saw what was happening and couldn't be a part of all of that. Mel looks around with a heavy sigh. Yeah, I was one of those protesting as well. Such a shame all those kids dying for literally nothing. Yes, well, anything else I can help you with? No. Tell your housemates I'll be back tomorrow. I would like everyone to stay home. Please leave the room vacant until I come back. I will get everyone out of your hair until about 10 a.m. tomorrow. Do, do you think that'll be okay? Sue nods. 
Standing, she turned sharply, flicking her cigarette down with her forefinger, then rubbing it out with the heel of her work shoe. Mel directs a few uniforms to stay watching the house and to radio for relief before they head out. He collects the evidence bags left on his car's hood and his car's hood and loads them in his trunk. Before lighting another cigarette, he mutters, Well, no smoking in the car, Mel. Digging around his jacket, finally producing a small box, pulling out minty toothpicks. Fuck, I hate these things. That night at the station, he fought with the typewriter and the lieutenant about not booking anyone from the house. No signs of a break-in, and nothing apparently missing. Mel tried to make the case that the filing cabinet was empty in the bottom two drawers, and the splatter on the side suggested a stack of something having been moved. The lieutenant argued until Mel produced a bottle of whiskey and got a few shots deep with his CO. After that, he was left alone to type up his report and review the evidence as the night shift came in. Later that night, Mel kept thinking he knew that Ron must have been the killer. <clears throat> I felt too obvious. Pam was army trained, but as a nurse, and Sue seemed far too passive and kind. The state of Tom when he was discovered was that of having been in a fight, or a series of mishaps that made it look like that, or a series of mishaps that made it look like that just before he was shot. No gun, no shell casing, no reports from the neighbors of hearing anything, ignoring the fact that nearly all of the houses on the block were empty at the time, except for two homes with drunk housewives. Mel was not sure what to think of the empty drawers and the lack of anyone having broken in. He was lost, so lost in thought that the waitress at the diner, diner clapped her hands at his nose to get his attention. Your smoke is going to burn your fingers. Embarrassed, Mel apologizes and orders another plate of greens and bacon with a fresh round of coffee and a hard-boiled egg. Brain food. The next morning, Mel woke to typically and endlessly empty half the bed. He seemed to always wake up looking at it. He wished he was as brave as the people in the house he was at. They all... They all very proudly lived and loved while he hid himself to people he thought of as brothers. Like they would want to be my brothers if they knew, he mutters in a sour tone as he grabs his smokes and watch. Plotting the day in his head as he gets ready, he starts to develop a possible motive, but has the confidence of a small lion cub and decides to shower and eat first. The day was clear and warm compared to the day before. This made Mel smile. Bright days seemed to give him superpowers, like the comic magazine heroes. The strong gust of wind clearing out the heavy smells of the throaty engines and the over-oiled tires. This'll be a good day, he says, pulling out another toothpick and flipping his keys in his hands. He leans over to open the car door, when a clap-bang makes him jump back. His pulse filling his eyes with a veil of confusion for a moment, he fumbles for his smoke and lights it. Eyes clearing, he sees the remains of a pigeon on his rear windshield in what looks like a bullet hole. 
He looks around in the direction it might have come from and sees a glint dropping. He sees a glint, then drops to the ground. The next clap bang leaves a solid sound above him as he crawls backwards to the front of the car. Sitting up, he arms himself with, it, with his snub-nosed revolver and peers over the hood to try to get a line of sight on the glint he saw. Another clap bangs and a bullet exits the front windshield, hitting the rearview mirror on its way. Fuck, I love this car. He grumbles. After a few moments, he decides to bolt to the tree in his front yard. This is not what a sunny day is supposed to be like, he grunts as he runs and dives behind the tree to another clap that seems to miss him by a good distance. Two more shots landing on either side of the tree, and then nothing for what could have been all day. Checking his watch, he counts just five minutes since he walked out of the house. Besides, the shooter is likely gone, and carefully looks out. No shots. He, mur he moves further out. Still no shots. Getting his key ready, to open the door, he bolts to the car and rushes to open the passenger side. Just as he opens it, a clap bang shatters the window just as he shuts the door. Turning the engine on and grabbing the radio mic. HQ, it's Mel. I'm being shot at at my house. Send black and whites now. Copy, detective. Units on the way. The next hour was putting him behind his... putting him behind in his investigation. He wanted to get to he wanted to get to the talking he wanted... <laughs> uh, fuck. He wanted to get talking to the people in the house before they could compare notes. Something was bothering him and he could not place it. He sent patrols around to try to find the sniper nest and radioed to confirm nobody had left the house. Everything seemed fine. The patrols found nothing, and the car watching the house insisted that no activity outside of a few lights and smoke coming from the chimney. When Mel heard this, he told the officers to enter the house and put out whatever was burning and restrain the residents in the kitchen. He called in for more units to help the officers and to lock the house down. He explained he was going to the print shop on his way to the house. The print shop was one of the more advanced he had seen. His eyes were filled with the massive print rollers that produced the movie posters and slick-looking banners in department stores. He noticed a small group trying to work on something and arguing. Showing his badge as he walked up, he smiled. Hi! A few of the faces looked up, then ignored him immediately. A few looked at him just like like he just said something like a spaceman. <laughs> one of them, the angry-looking one, left the table to stand close enough to lick Mel's face. The fuck you doing here, fascist? Not the first time I've heard that recently, Mel smiles. I'm here to ask questions uh, about Sue. Yeah, we know. That boy was shot in her home yesterday. She called us and told us the police would not let her work today. That's setting us behind. Looking over the man's shoulder, Mel sees 
the table covered in a series of things that might as well be magical items and stuff from Flash Gordon. The only thing that made sense to him was it looked messy. I understand that Sue is amazing with this work. She's gifted with an understanding of printing that none of us will likely ever understand. You have to let her come back today. Possibly. I just wanted to know if her roommates ever came by here. The guy huffs a little. Listen, I don't want to speak ill of the dead or piss anybody off. Mel holds up his hands. No worries. I'm only here to get information. Nothing you say will leave these lips to anyone in that house. The guy looks over Mel, then back at the chaos his co-workers are trying to work on. Fine. The junkie Tom would sneak in here sometimes and try to pickpocket some of us. Other times, Sue would hire him to take some pamphlets she would get special printed to some place downtown. And uh, what about Ron or Pam? Nah, Pam was here once and had an argument with the foreman, and she never came back. Only ever heard the name Ron, never met him. Do you know what Pam and the foreman talked about? The foreman was going to fire Sue for something she printed, and Pam came and, I guess, settled whatever the issue was. Mel nods. Thanks, that helps a great deal. Yeah, now hurry, and let Sue come back. We need her. Mel smiles widely as he makes his way to the foreman's office. In the office, the lights were off, and the smell was the kind you get in a butcher shop. The cold air system made the room feel like an icebox. Hey, foreman, sorry. I don't know your name. Mel lights a match to find the light switch. The heavy clunk and the buzzing of the lights took a moment. The room fills with the harsh fluorescent lighting, showing Mel another body with a similar bullet wound to Tom. After a few hours, Mel feels ready to <clears throat> leave to check on his suspects. A dozen interviews gave no extra information. Nobody knew what Sue printed for herself as she set it up and printed them all, then cleared everything before anyone could get a look. She was that efficient. That was the only thing they all kept saying. A few others remember Pam being scary and surprised she was ever a nurse. Mel felt like another trip to some beach with cute guys and fruity drinks was in order after this case. Going back to the house to find Ron and Sue sipping some odd tea they claimed was from China, some ginseng blend. The smell of it made Mel feel as if he wanted to smoke even more. Where's Pam? The two shrug at him, and Ron says, She left hours ago. Said she needed to do resupply at Gimbal's. I had left instructions that you were to remain in the house. The police in the car did not see her leave, Mel says louder than he should have. Sue coughs a little. She took them some tea and left soon after. Ron nods. That's right. She made everyone tea, and we all passed out for an afternoon nap. I remember her saying she needed to check on the stock, and as I was falling asleep. Okay, I'm noticing an inconsistency here. 
the cops, when uh, Mel radioed, were still awake. But after he radioed, they must have fallen asleep. Um, yeah. Mel lights a smoke, pulls out his notepad. Fuck. Running to the police car, Mel sees the two officers asleep and wonders why he didn't think to check them first. You are too, you are too distracted, Mel. Get your head on straight. Reaching into the car, grabbing the radio. HQ, we need feet in the streets. We need to bring someone in. After breaking down his plan, he slaps the two officers awake, telling them to take the two people on the porch inside and make lots of coffee and not to leave their side or let anyone in the house, not even the other resident. Mel had thought of a few things since all of this started. He knew there were communist sympathizers that had served in the American military, just never expected to actually be involved in a case with one. He just couldn't decide if Sue or Ron knew what was going on. Were they connected? His mind raced as he drove to the meeting hall of the World Peace Council. He knew that was the best place to start if he was going to find a commie. These stupid idiots don't know what is up, he mutters to himself as he slams his car into a stop in front of the building. Moments later, a few police cars pull up next to his. He waves for some of them to stay and the rest to follow. Drawing his snub nose, he enters slowly. Police! Pam, if you are in here, show me your hands and come out and lay face down on the floor. He peers around and waves some of the men to go into the hallways. They do this on the entire bottom floor, clearing the rooms. Slowly going up the stairs, slowly going up the stairs, leaving two next to the elevators, Mel brings, uh, begins to sweat a little. <laughs> oh goodness. He puts three of the mint toothpicks in his mouth, cursing his impulse to smoke. As he reaches the landing for the second floor, he peers over the stairs, seeing a shadow pour slightly across the hall. Waving for one to stay and the rest to follow, he goes up the stairs, hugging the wall. He rushes next to the door, looking at the shadow. Pam, we need you to lay down on the floor and hold out your arms to your sides. A loud pop and the smell of black powder run across Mel's nose as he notices a hole in the wall next to his face. He squats, waving that the rest of them do the same. Pam, I know I am going to have to use deadly force now. You just shot at a police officer. I don't care if you're a commie or not, but I do care you, you just killed two people. Few more loud pops followed by a yell. Do you know what's gonna happen? They're just gonna take her away. I couldn't let that junkie sell her out. It was the only way. Another yell, followed by more pops. Mel looked confused, tries to sort his mind. Not sure what you're talking about. Who cares if you got Sue to print commie propaganda for you? She didn't kill anyone. Don't be stupid. She's the one you should be afraid of. I was trying to keep her from being discovered. You were lucky at the at your house this morning. I was off my game. 
I had lost sleep confront comforting Sue. You ruined everything. Mel signals a few of the men to cross the opening to the other side when he moves. Listen, Pam, can we talk face to face? No more shooting, okay? I will keep my gun on you. Fair enough, I suppose. Mel lets his gun hang from his finger through the trigger loop, his hands facing Pam, his jacket blocking out the door, allowing the other cops to cross to the other side. What did you mean Sue was the one we should be afraid of? Still pointing her gun at Mel, Pam starts to cry. I love her, you understand? When I found out who and what she was, I, I didn't care. I was already interested in the World Peace Council and what they stand for. Pam, they are a communist propaganda machine trying to undermine America. Shut up! Mel chews the toothpicks into a pulp and spits them out. Listen, whatever happened, we can work it out. If you are under the influence of a communist plot, we can get you help. You have to stop her before she leaves. I already sent explosives to the police department. I had to make sure the remains of what you found in the fireplace wasn't looked at closer. You would know too much about me, about her. You did what? A rumble gently causes the hanging lights in the room to sway and an orange glow shows up in the distance through the windows. Pam, what is going on? She wanted to make Pandora work. Flipping the end of her rifle to her chin, she pulls the trigger before Mel can react to her statement. She is down. You two, stay here. Call it in. The rest of you, with me. The rush of the high-speed race to get to Sue was intoxicating to Mel in all of the wrong ways. He was excited and energized, and he felt guilty about it. He tries to work, out, work it out all in his head. He had heard about some kind of race war attempt a few years back. Was Sue an actual KGB agent that seduced Pam? A woman that survived war zones? and seeing what kind of pain weapons of war can do? His head raced with all the ways the heart could be swayed. He remembered a young man that he met a few years back. He was so sweet and kind, and also had a perfect ass. Mel didn't see how toxic and pretty the guy was for too long. Toxic was because... How <laughs> toxic... The guy was for too long. I don't know why I put Anne Pretty in there. I mean, obviously. Um, he thought he was in love. He thought this is what might have happened to Pam. He felt worse for Ron and Tom. Poor Tom. He whispers to himself as his caravan of police cars begin to pile on the lawn and fill the street in front of the house. Mel signals everyone to stay low and be armed. Going to the door, he sees the... He's going to the front, he sees the inner door is open. There's blood on the screen door, and he sees the legs of one of the officers through it. Sue! Ron! He slowly opens the screen door. Sue! Pam is dead. Whatever is going on, we can work all of this out. Nobody else needs to die. 
At the top of the stairs, Sue comes out of one of the rooms holding Ron with one arm around his neck, her other hand pointing a gun at his head. Ron covering most of her body and making a clear shot to her head difficult at that angle. Mel tries to look around for a good way to see her. Sue yells, causing Ron to wince as she does. You killed her! Mel starts to walk up the stairs as the rest of the police pour in. A few follow behind him. No, Sue, she killed herself. She said you were the one to be afraid of. I get the impression she was working under your orders. Is that right, comrade? A series of words that Mel knew to be Russian come out of Sue's face in a slightly deeper voice. Well, I guess she said too much. No point in playing safe now. Pushing Ron down the stairs, Sue puts the revolver to her chin and falls a moment after the wall behind her is covered in gore. Mel drops his gun and squats to catch Ron as the two men behind him, as the two men behind keep them all from falling further. Ron, looking unharmed, was unconscious and Mel did his best to feel it was a win. A few months later, Mel wakes up, sees Ron's smiling face staring back at him. Morning, they both say. Well, I think that was good. I think that was really good. Um, now, obviously, uh, there's, um, like, I, 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 it was fast, super fast. Like, I'm not trying to write a 20,000 word short story here. Um, but, uh, I, like, the thing that surprised me about Mel is, uh, ending up with Ron. And I only thought about that because... I wrote the part where he woke up to an empty side of his bed. And I thought it would be a great kind of, uh, like, kind of dreamy uh, thing to leave readers with, or listeners, with um, as the end of the story. You know, like, imagine, you know, it's 1973, and this kind of, gruff gay man who is kind of like super shy about you know being who he is to you know the people around him and then he meets this cute trans guy who you know is out and proud you know I to me that that's a good ending you know that you can fill in all the all the dots there um I also was um, trying to keep everybody's perspectives set in the 70s so the whole like um, you know commie thing and you know communists being bad and stuff like that like I, I just feel that served the story uh, and the setting because um, uh, you know the whole Cold War thing just kind of it was such a weird period of history for the world in general. And um, I, I kind of had vaguely remembered um, the, uh, I think it was New York, 
where in 71 or something I don't know I have a lot of randomness up here but I remember something about like an attempted race war thing that was called Pandora or something like that and then I like looked it up to verify that I wasn't just imagining it and that was actually a thing so it just kind of made sense if there were like other attempts to make that happen um even if it was you know somebody who accidentally got caught and was trying to um you know make the situation work out somehow um you know people do really dramatic and drastic things when when they're caught in a corner and i thought you know pam if she was so in love with sue that she would have you know used her expertise to be like i'm gonna protect her you know i'm gonna kill this guy and the other guy that could you know reveal that you know she was making communist propaganda and you know yeah anyways i want to thank you so much for joining me for episode seven of first drafts that glow guide sunrise i really 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 enjoyed this one um i i definitely want to write the mel character again i i I liked them a lot more than I thought I would. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you know, like and subscribe. Uh, be sure to visit me at nailsthatglow.com. <laughs> I like things that glow. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for being fans.